So, anyone heard any news lately? Welcome to the F1 2023 season review on Motorsport 101. everybody i'm your friendly neighborhood host dre harrison welcome to episode 489 of motorsport 101 um yeah anything happened in the last week that was apparently newsworthy in the world of f1 and beyond uh oh, no. apparently even max verstappen is sick of the dutch national anthem now <laughs> apparently so that was that, that was news around here so yeah welcome to our big f1 2023 season review episode this is something that we, we love doing on the show at end of the end what well, i call season review season indycar had their early turn in september now we catch up with the big two um if we ran this in december and you gave me 10 minutes to talk about everything that has come out of mark miles mouth on the record within the last two several months i would be losing my mind i would not be able to do this show anymore because i'd barely be able to contain it oh god like i, I bless him i know a friend of the show chris dehane was begging me to come on for, for this one because of all the indycar news i was like look I want to try and keep it mostly F1 centric, and there was already a big story in that regard that I wanted to get to at some Trust point during me the show. When I say <laughs> we have multiple individuals trying to hit the fadeaway jump shot from half court for the foul on Dior. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> voting was but, already closed. Voting right. is closed and. The buzzer has sounded, the red lights are on on the rim, and that shot is in the air, and it hit nothing but the bottom. <laughs> it's, they're trying. God bless them, they're trying. As you can probably tell, I'm your friend, the neighborhood host, Trey Harrison. You can probably tell as well, that was RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. I'll let you work out who is who if you're a first-time listener. It'll be fun over the show figuring that one out. Um, first and foremost, I suspect there's going to be a lot of people listening to us for the first time. You may or may not have heard certain news regarding my employment status lately. You're the uh, hottest free agent <laughs> in motorsports journalism right now. You, you got to get motorcycle leathers with fun, with fun employed on the ass. I, I was I, you, you can't see it right now, but on the racist uh, Slack chat that I'm that I'm still in for a couple more days, I now have the literal rear end of Dovi in 2020 as my profile picture. It's 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 great. Um, no, I was going to say, look, um, for those who don't know already, and if you follow me, chances are you already do. Um, yes, uh, I have been let go from WTF one, and, and I'm going to straight up say it on the record i was let go um I, did, I was a bit kinder about it on on social media but that's the unfortunate state of the game um unfortunately um these things happen um i'm not going to get into too much detail on it that i haven't already said publicly but um what i will say on the record is is that i promise you i gave it everything i had as as a content creator someone that was doing the pods doing the shorts on the website as well and that that goes for me charlie and for hannah we we all busted ass over this year trying to make it work and unfortunately it just didn't in the end and um as media tightens its belt in general and i know i'm not the only one um there's many places many friends that have had podcasts 
you know, tear up. Shout out to friend of the show, Elizabeth Blackstock, who I know is going to kill it with her new show in 2024 anyway. Uh, shout out to my buddy Niran over at Quadrant, because I know the last, lo- the last lap podcast is also gone uh, as well. Two great shows hosted by great people, um, you know, and... It's the nature of the it's the nature of the game. It's the nature of the industry. Content creation is fucking brutal. Let me tell you, mm. um, and it sucks that while I may be a casualty of that, I I promise you, I leave with my head held high because I know I gave it everything I had over there. And um, to all the the incredibly kind people that have reached out and said commiserations or you know looking forward to whatever happens next, I wish I could tell you I had something cool lined up to replace it. I don't um it's all raw i'm out in the open i don't know what's coming next but um sincere thank yous it it, it means a lot that you noticed and it means a lot that you cared um as i've said i will scream from the heavens if you still want to listen to me come over here we're fun we we cover more than one series i love these guys and i love working with them in the same way that i love the wtf1 team um you know and I'm gutted to to have been let go, um, uh, but I'm still here. M101, I promise you, is going nowhere. Um, if anything, it has galvanized me to work even harder because it was this that got me that job in the first place. It wasn't anything else I was doing. It was this. And it's been nine years of a labor of love, and I'm incredibly lucky to have such incredible peers, fans, friends, and colleagues that have supported this show in that time. And even when I've not maybe been able to put as much into it as I would like with this full-time job at WTF1. And of course, that may change if somebody else comes knocking, who knows? But in the interim, I I promise you, I will do everything I can to keep keep M101 going on the side as well, because I love it here. Um, This is the, the one place I could truly cut loose and be myself. And... I'm very proud to have this community and the and the people and the friends that I have within it. Um, I love it. I still love it. I very nearly stopped at the end of 2022 because I thought it was too much. But if anything, this year has galvanized me to keep going. So sincerely, thank you all for the kind words and the love and the support. It really does mean the world. And hopefully, maybe the right person is out there watching and listening. And who knows, I might get another shot somewhere else. But if not, I can say I lived my dream, even if it was only for a short time. And I would rather have that than never at all. So thank you, guys. It it really does mean the world. And um, yeah, uh, let's get back to doing what I do best, which is apparently shit talk about motorsport. So um, that's what I'm here for. That's what you all here for. And uh, let, let that march continue. So before we get into um the, the meat and potatoes of this episode which is our f1 season review there was a big do we big, have to talk about this uh, we kind of right. do imagine yeah, we, if i had a fifth of vodka i'm just pounding it back right now and then i'm pouring myself more and i'm pounding yeah. that back too let's yeah. dive right into wolf gazi so for those who uh, don't know um last week we had a big story drop that the fia was launching a conflict of interest investigation into two unnamed people um one of them being an f1 team boss and another one being a fom employee now the fia didn't directly mention by name who was being investigated but because of a 
a shitty story written, and I'm, I've got no problem saying this on the record, a shitty story written by the people at Business F1. And I, I'd like to think it's it's some old white guy who's converted his basement into an axe grinding facility. Um, they wrote some rather disparaging comments about Susie Wolf, uh, who you may now know as former former racing driver turned F1 Academy director now at, at, at FOM um, and saying that, well, she's married to Toto Wolf. There's a chance she could be feeding him information. Now, this is completely fucking baseless. I have it from multiple people that this was completely fucking baseless. And yet the FIA launched um, a COI investigation anyway, understandably, the rest of um, Formula One was pissed at this news. Um, all ten uh, teams, <laughs> ten identical statements. All ten. Now, like I said, we're just waiting on Sauber to drop theirs, not because they were in opposition, but because they were just like, "Oh, oh I was away from my desk." Yeah, exactly. And I was Literally. like, "Okay, just, just just copy theirs and put it on our generic template. It's fine." But like, I cannot stress how rare it is for all ten F one teams to be in agreement on anything, let alone this. They all distanced themselves from the investigation, saying we didn't report anything, we didn't have any issue with this, and we look forward to working with Susie in the F one Academy next year. Because, as you may or may not know. All 10 teams are going to be sponsoring one of the F1 Academy cars in 2024 as it joins the F1 support bill. Um, a day late, obviously Mercedes and Susie herself came out with some scathing comments in response, and deservedly so, um, as far as basically saying, why is my marital status being used as a stick to beat me with, essentially, um, and called the comments disparaging and rooted in misogyny, which, as far as I'm concerned, they very much are. Um, a day later, the FIA announced that they had ended their investigation. There was nothing to report. No in in individual was being chased up. And that was largely the end of the matter, dot, 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 for now. Toto Wolf has come out since uh, via Mercedes and said, look, we're keeping our options open legally. We want to know what led to this investigation in the first place. Um, so Merckx could challenge the FIA legally down the road. It's not off the table, but both Toto and Susie Wolf made the point that we're not dropping this. We want to find out what led to this situation, basically. So we didn't, we, we kind of wing in this segment because we didn't have anything hard written down for it. But I mean, what did you make of all that last week when that, when that shit hit the fan over that 72 hour period? Uh, I mean, listen, just, just because Total Wolf is married to a successful team principal, you know, a racing driver and a Formula One representative. It does not mean that we should just be thinking of Total Wolf as just Susie Wolf's husband. <laughs> yeah. Dude, this story is weird. And Dre, you you may you summed it up best. You kind of get the sense that maybe Mohammed bin Sulaim just needs to lock off a bit. I think we could all log off a bit. Um, I, I have to clarify um, something here, and I'm saying this in confidence. I've had three or four people reach out to me about this. Mm. Inclination is it wasn't Ben Sulaim. Mm. 
And Inclination says that the concussion he fell and he, he partially missed the F1 prize giving ceremony last week. He did a limited role according to what the original plan was. Apparently, that fall was genuine. I know it was a bit weird to delete the video of him being in Baku, but apparently it was genuine and that the person that chased this up might be their new commissioner. Who, of course, um, is a racing journalist. If I speak, if I speak. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And and we, we'd had a couple of people. Mention them by, yeah, we're not going to mention them yeah. by name, but they're, no. they're very easy to find if you Google F1 commissioner. Yeah. And people uh, people who uh, are on, not on this show but are very familiar with the situation are like, I mean, when it was first announced that he was taking the job of F1 commissioner, we're like, wait, you're giving a journalist the job of F1 commissioner? With a direct line to MBS? Yeah. And by all accounts, yeah. It looks like he's the one who threw this grenade. Um, But... I have to go back to those who initially threw this grenade. Look, not business F1 is not worth any of our time. Um, anyone who knows the motorsport journalism game knows that they're a bunch of misogynistic assholes anyway. These are the guys who built an entire argument of why the W Series wasn't succeeding around, oh, well, they're not promoting their sex appeal enough. Um, with, with a 16-year-old on its roster at the time. Very normal discussion. Um, they're so. not worth your time. They're not worth my time. Uh, if this had gone through anything resembling fact checking, this would not have gone anywhere, but it doesn't look like it did. And we are all three days of atrocious discourse worse off for it. Even Christian Horner, who would stand most to gain. Christian from Horner his... has never seen an argument he didn't want to take part in. Even he's right. like, <laughs> yeah, it well, well, wasn't crazy. us. He got on television and said, yeah, this wasn't us. Yeah, he was the one boss that went on Sky Sports and and actively said to Craig Slater's face, we had nothing to do with this. <laughs> Look. Dude, Tony Wolf and Gerhard Berger were probably just in their winter cabin just sipping some hot cocoa. <laughs> Look, s- s- sincerely, right? Toto and Toto Wolf and Christian Horner are fierce competitors but I'd like to think they genuinely do respect each other as people. I really don't think... Like, if, if, if Christian Horner I'd like to that, think their significant person. others are off-limits in their rivalry. I'd like to think so. Like I, 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 like, I know Christian Horner. I've met Christian Horner. He doesn't seem to be like the sort of person that would make a personal attack against a, against a competitor's partner. Um, I really don't think he'd be capable of something like that. Um, and like I said, we've seen them arm in arm in pictures. I'd like to think they genuinely do have a level of respect for each other beyond the racing circles. I know it's very easy for us to say that when the F1 circle is so Red Bull versus Mercedes-centric and has been for the last three years, but I really don't think that they would go that far. I don't, I, I, anything I, happens, significant happened yesterday uh, from the day of recording? Uh, <laughs> two years ago. Um, uh, um, I'll tell you, you know, we had to say goodbye to Kimi Raikkonen as an F1 driver, and that broke my heart. Sad day, sad day, yeah. sad day. No, but I was just like, I mean, I, I can't, I can only echo what Cam has said on on top of this. It, the when Susie Wolf said the reporting was based in misogyny, she was absolutely correct. 
110%. This is the same institution that has been sued by Charlie Whiting for libel. They've had multiple court cases over the years based on libel and defamation. This is the same rag that, as as RJ, as, as, as Cam mentioned, had no problem um, implying that teenagers need to sex up their series. This is the, this is the same rag that had no problem accusing multiple drivers of being gay and cheating on their partners, or saying that Lewis Hamilton played the victim card or played the uh, discrimination card in their articles regarding 2021 and how he gets down as a racing driver. They are the journalistic equivalent of a jizz rag. And I, uh, and I, just I pull no punches big, in saying that. To piggyback off of your earlier point, they're just one giant axe grinding facility. It's a right. grift. It's, it's, a it's, it's stupid grift. And they're not worth your time. We could be exactly. better if we don't pay attention to them, but somebody at the FIA decided so, this is worth chasing down. And that's just it. Someone who is way too goddamn important to the sport thought that this was worth pursuing. And someone who's and that's not acceptable. And someone whose background really suggests they, sh- they should know better, quite frankly, than, than, than verifying their sources and figuring where this bullshit comes from. And look, we are all partly responsible for this to an extent because not only the discourse yeah. should never have seen the light of day, the aggregators were always going to gas this up because, like I said, it's a Mercedes-relevant story that's going to be directly against Red Bull because Abu Dhabi was mentioned and the cost cap of 2022 was mentioned in that story. Getting roasted is getting posted. So they're going to get all their clicks and eventually there was going to get so much smoke that the wrong person was going to read it and take it one stage further. And there's one thing I need to point out in this as well. Like, conflicts of interest is the glue that holds motorsport together. Yeah, that's the other thing too. It's just like, I understand if you're new to motorsport, you're thinking... Yeah, this is a serious conflict of interest. And it's just like, buddy, this is not the first. And it certainly will not be the last. Mm-hmm. M- motorsport is a closed fucking shop, okay? It is largely inaccessible to most people that are in sports, let alone general society, okay? Like, chances are, if you're on the road for 250, 300 days a year, you're going to f- probably hook up with someone who is a part of the traveling circus. You are going to go from paddock to paddock, from team to team. You are going to bring over insider secrets. You are going to jump from... How much How much of the current FIA is former F1 employees and vice versa? A huge amount of them. Marcin Budkowski went from the FIA to go to Renault in 2021, and that was only two years Stefano ago. Stefano Domenicali quite literally ran the Ferrari Formula One team. And now he's the over most half powerful, a decade. And now he's the most powerful man in F1's commercial wing. I mean, come on now. Like, the whole sport is built on a conflict of interest. I've joked about it on this show many times when I watch MotoGP's coverage on TNT, but their panel regularly consists of a rider's agent, the guy who's now in charge of the rider's union, and a guy that owns a Moto3 team, and no one cares. (laughs) I promise you no one cares. This sport is built on COIs, and there is no escaping that. It's an inevitability of the industry that we work in. It's a closed shop. That's how it's going to be. It kind of sucks, but it's just the way it is. It's You can't be helped. Yeah, so this this story was an entire seething glass of dog shit and it's we slurp that up right off the plate because we are bored it's the off season we need something to talk about 
We are bored as shit and we need an off-season to get through this and talk about it. Right, let's get into our Formula One season review and we will start with our American friends at Haas right after this. Okay, folks, season review time and we're going to do what we normally do on this show. We're going to Go in reverse championship order. We'll mention some key stats first, and we'll, we'll you know we'll get into some of that, um, and then we'll, we'll pick out some key points of each team's 2023 and talk about them at length. We'll, we'll even give the team a score at the end, just because we're fun like that as well. Um, so let's let's go to the bottom first, and that is Hass. Um, unfortunately, the second time in the last three years Hass have finished the bottom best of the worst team in Formula One. Yeah, no team at the bottom of the standings has ever scored as many as 12 points and still finished last. Bad luck, Hass. That's, that's how this goes. So they were 10th in the standings with, with 12 points. Looking, looking at the head-to-heads, and this is going by uh, races in which both finished or both had the equal opportunity to perform. Um, thanks to RJ and digging up his race fan stats for that as well. They have a, they have, they have a fantastic no, thank, archive. No, thank Keith for putting all that. Keith Collins, I am my boss, for putting all that together. Yeah, he keeps just... the man. Yeah, keeps 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 a good egg, and I know he does a lot of brilliant work in putting the stats together in a really neat and convenient way. So shout out to Keith. Um, I know he's listening. Hi, Keith. Thanks for listening, buddy. Hi, buddy. Um, and and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. To, to, to round that up, Hulkenberg fifteen seven up in qualifying. He was ten eight up in races. They both finished. High finish on the year was seventh in a Grand Prix in Australia. They did have the sixth in the Austria Sprint as well. K Mag ninetieth in the standings, two points. Three times in the top 10. Best finish was 10th. Average finish was 15.6. Hulkenberg's was 16th in the tables. Uh, had nine points. Got in the points just once. That was our Australian race. Best finish was 7th, as mentioned. Average finish was 14 and a half. <sighs> this, was, this car was a one-trick pony, wasn't it? I mean... Uh, a one-lap pony, if you will. Yeah. This car had no race pace. None. Um, I can't remember with ease a car that has had this much pace in qualifying and this little pace in race trim. I've seen um, some Ferraris that have had such a disparity in recent years. Oh, I don't know if it was ever this bad. I mean, they they would drop both cars into Q3 on occasion. They would just sink. Yeah. Why would they sink? Because this thing just, it has no portion control when it comes to its Pirelli P0 tires. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the Haas VF23 was a machine that turns fresh tires into dead tires in record time. Um, did it for both drivers. Uh, we had the classic Haas development trope of putting upgrades on the car and making the car worse. Even <laughs> if this time they copied the Red Bull rb1819 concept Mm -hmm. and it made them worse what does that say yeah hulkenberg had reverted back to the old setup by the time we got to abu dhabi at year's end thinking well sod it might as well roll the dice and see what we've got here and every Um, race that they ran both hulkenberg blew magnuson's doors off yeah that gets us to the other thing i was very skeptical about nico hulkenberg coming back after such a long layoff being an old guy, replacing a young guy who probably didn't deserve to get fired, and that's Mick Schumacher. Mm. I hold up my hands. We can all hold up our hands and say, unless we believe Nico Hogenberg was this good all along, Nico Hogenberg 
We are sorry. Right. We forgive you for the slander. We forgive you for thinking that you were washed. You did as much as you could in this situation. You still got a little bit of it. I'm not saying yeah. it's enough to get that podium you've been wanting for so long, but you've st- you did the best you could. Val. You, you could you could mix the best attributes of Senna, Schumacher, Hamilton, and Verstappen <laughs> together. They ain't putting this thing on the podium over a race distance. Um, uh, yeah, Hulkenberg was pretty good. Go Hulkenberg. Pretty damn I mean, good. he probably never should have lost his seat in the sport at the end of the day. Um, and he came back and I mean, he was terrific in qualifying. He got the most out of this thing pretty much every weekend. And he's still showing us why all that potential, like the Honda S2000, his <laughs> potential has always been the discussion. Now we got to talk about another driver who's always had potential, and that's that's Kevin Magnuson, who, let's not forget, when he came back in the sport after the no good, very bad, terrible Nikita Mazepin experience, got him and Haas a lot of good karma by putting them straight back in the points right away in his first race. Mm. I don't know if that car, I don't know how long that karma has got before it turns sour. I think it's got, I think it's got a bit, a little bit longer because I read from his book, Gunther loves Kevin Magnuson. He really does. And K Mag did him a real big favor to break off from his, Sports car deals over at IMSA to head back to F1. He didn't Shout have to out do that. Peugeot. Shout out Peugeot. Um, yeah, hey, we, if he was do- if he was driving this thing, he was still dodging a bullet compared to well, the 9x8. Right. So, you know, oh. like, Gunther is very grateful for Kevin and what he's done for that team over the years, which is understandable. He's done a lot for Haas and vice versa. Um, look, this is two years in a row, and this is year eight for Kevin Magnussen. He's got 160 starts to his name now. He's been beaten by two different drivers on from very different ends of the same F1 driver, you know, driver path spectrum in two respective years and been beaten convincingly in both. And maybe not in points against Mick Schumacher, but in races they both finished, I think Schumacher beat K-Mag 11-6 last year. Yeah, in the second now, half, Mick was cleanly better than Magnussen, but by that point... Um, Haas's development push in the off season, throughout the season, I should say, for 21, had dried up. Yeah, and, and Gunther had run out of patience with Mick and the crash damage, which in a smaller team is understandable. But on raw ability, Mick was better than Kevin last year, and now Hulkenberg's coming in, coming and convincingly beaten Magnussen this year as well. The weird thing is, right, it was almost a repeat of last year because you look at the results, Hulkenberg only scored points one time, and it was that train wreck of a finish in Australia. He almost got the podium in Australia. If if, if the finishing order was as the red flag dropped, which it wasn't... He would have got a podium. He he would have got a podium after Carlos signs his penalty. I would have... We we, we would have been so wrong. The universe (laughs) would not allow this man to get a penalty. Nope. Come hell or high water, but again... The two two best results of the year came from Hulkenberg. The other one was the P6 in Austria sprinting, which he drove brilliantly in that sprint race. Like, that was such a good drive from Hulkenberg that day. The man still got it. He still has a bit of juice in the tank. That's clear. Magnuson hasn't got an excuse. We're going to get to Logan Sargent later, but I made a point in, in, in emphasizing this in my part one of my season review on the website, which you can read at motorsport101.com. Um, like I made a point of mentioning this. 
Logan Sargent, people couldn't wait to bury once he got here. But as a rookie, that should get you a certain degree of mitigation. He was a rookie who walked into a tough scenario, going to a brand new team, first time in an F1 car, and Alex Albon in the opposite side of the garage. Who what's, was what's, cooking this year? We'll get to what's, him. What's K-Mag's excuse? Uh, K-Mag has... It's a shame because Magnuson had world championship potential when he broke in the sport, let's not forget. He was debuted the on the podium. shining star of the McLaren Young Driver podium once, program once upon a time. And as his career has played out outside of that debut podium, it's never materialized. And that no. stinks. So what's, and I think... I think I think a lot of that, unfortunately, isn't on K-Mag either because he was dropped after a year with McLaren in a not very good McLaren because if you get the chance to sign Fernando Alonso in his prime, you do that. And then one more race where uh, he didn't even get to start because his engine exploded before he even got to the grid. It gets mm. better for Honda. He, he ties it gets his a hell of a lot to... better for Honda. Yeah, but and, he, uh... ties his, he ties his... Uh, he ties... His, he ties up to the Renault ship, and we all think it's going to soar like a rocket, and it fizzles. That 2016 Renault was dog shit. And I mean, what, what's the most, the two most emblematic things of his Renault stint? Flying into the barrier at the top of Radion. Oof. And then was it his car that just wouldn't stop being on fire in the pit lane in Malaysia? I think it was. Yeah, that's uh, not a great way to remember a team, is it? And look, the problem is now is that Haas might have their eye on his replacement because Oli Behrman is apparently in very good estimation in the in the Haas garage. He's going to have a tough time next year in Formula 2. I think it's a loaded Formula 2 cast for 2024, and his teammate at Prima will be Kim, Andrea Kimi Antonetti, which is going to be where everyone's going to be fixating their eyes for 2024. But if Oli Behrman has... Anyway, halfway decent F2 season in year two. He might be next in line for a Haas drive. Look, if I'm good for him, because I do I do actually rate Behrman. I think he's a very, very good driver. Oh. Um, mm. I actually think he has some of the intangibles that you want to see in someone um, on their way up through the ladder. The problem here is Haas. Um, in the last five years of their existence, they finished ninth, ninth, tenth, eighth, and tenth in the constructors. Mm-hmm. And this year, they, for much of the year, they were above the bottom rung, and they just went nowhere with upgrades. They went backwards. And meanwhile, the teams around them, who we'll get to, a couple of teams made, you know, I'm really going to single out Alpha Tauri. Alpha Tauri salvaged something out of this season that they should not have. Right. With a big upgrade in Singapore. As long as Haas maintains this car trait, A, of just turning tires into bubblegum in this era of the Pirelli tire, and couple that to the fact that they have never once developed well over a season, where do you go from here if you're Haas? No matter who you plug into that seat, there's something in your pipeline that does not work that you cannot contend with the more established teams around you with. Right, it is a problem, and it's something that they're going to have to address as an elephant in the room at some point, otherwise they're going to keep spinning their wheels like this. I don't think they were the worst car or the worst team in Formula 1 this year, pound for pound, but the way way they develop 
And the, as Kiera quite rightly points out in the chat, how can they develop when they don't build most of the car? It's parts from Ferrari and a chassis from Delara. And well, how do you have how do you have the resources and the uh, the facilities and the manpower to build a car as a as a privateer team? That's the problem. Is that they've only got two hundred and fifty people working for them? Cam, like Williams has nine hundred. Like, and that's just it. Is that they do not have like they buy as much of the car as they can from Ferrari, and then they send the designs over to Delara to be manufactured. I think they're at the they've been well past the limit of that model for years now. But on it, have they got the money to be able to turf this system over and start fresh? Well, they've got the money. It just depends on whether Gene wants to spend it. Gene has the money. We all know that. But with five years straight in the bottom three, is he going to keep pouring money into this, hoping to get them back to even what they were when they were a midfield team? Because this team is... is, On current evidence? Yeah. No? I don't don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, the sides are a bit... They have one constructors finish above eighth place, and that was in 2018. And that was after they got disqualified from one of their big point scoring ones, too. Yeah. Floor was illegal. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I hope. Look, look, again, I have personal affiliation. I've met Gunther. I know a lot of people from the Haas side of things. They are genuinely giving it everything they've got, and I have no doubt that the, that they're trying the best with what they have. I, I hope they can figure it out, because a good Haas team is good for the sport across the board. Everybody wins if Haas does well. But they've been spinning their wheels for some time and I hope they can find a way to turn it around. Alfa Romeo, next up on the list. Alfa Romeo were ninth with 16 points. Um, Head-to-heads, Bottas ahead on both counts. 16-6 in qualifying, 11-6 in race trim. Had a couple of eighth places in Qatar in Bahrain. Very, very Alfa Romeo. Good at the start, good at the end. Um, Both ends of the scale. Um... Valtteri, 15th in the points with 10, got into the points four times. Uh, best finish of eight for Zhou Guanyu was 18th in the standings with six points, was in the points three times. Best finish was ninth, I did that three times. Funnily enough, both guys had the exact same average finish, 14, um, which is, is kind that of a, good. Which is a kind of a metaphor for Alfa Romeo's season, really. And they're lost as Alfa Romeo because they'll be going back to being called Sauber again, at least partially. Well, apparently we'll know this weekend what their new team name is going to be from what I've been told. So uh, look forward to that. By the time this goes out, you might know. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I, I I had in my notes here participation trophy winners of 2023 because was any team more just there than Alfa Romeo in 2023? No, this no. is going to be a short segment. I mean, Valtteri Botash still shows flashes of brilliance. Zhou Guan Yu shows that he's steady. He's just, he's not been spectacular yet through two seasons and he needs to pick that up because they have nowhere else to put Teo Porcher and now you can make the argument that he should have been here all along. I mean, that's really about it. There's nothing really like needle moving to talk about until Audi starts pumping the money in the team. And if you know Sauber's history, strangely enough, they don't always get better when you pump manufacturer money into them. You know, <clears throat> while I think Haas had lower, they had a lower trough this year, that's just said about Alfa Romeo. They basically spent most of the season not bad enough to be the worst team in Formula One, 
None. But also always knocking on the door of points and never getting them. Um, I mean, ever since their weight advantage dried up in the, I'd say the second third of 2022. Yeah. Um, on the rest of the merits of the car, they've been nowhere. Um, it doesn't do anything interesting. Um, their upgrades don't make the car worse, but they don't seem to do much to make it better. Um, and it's just like once everyone else caught them up on being low weight, that's the only thing that they've shown in the last two years. And they are no longer unique in that regard. Yeah, again, we said it on the show before. Props to Fred Vassa. He gamed the system and he made it work beautifully. Because remember, this team was sixth last year. Sixth! They were sixth solely on account of the fact that the car wasn't very good, but everyone else was having weight problems. And Valtteri cashed in early when the car was competitive because he was very solid the first third of that 2022 season. And they've arguably they've been the worst overall team in F1 since the first half of 2022 when it comes to just being consistently just below points. And unfortunately, you don't get anything for 11th in this game. Um, You've got to draw that line somewhere. They wish that they were 11th because, again, they were just right in the middle of the non-scoring crew. And um, they were they were they were so anonymous this year. There were people starting to question the Audi investment in general because of just how little they were turning the page. And whenever they did have big opportunities, like I remember Joe Guan Yu qualified in Hungary in fifth, and we thought this is the one. Joe's come alive, and then his car stalls off the line, and he ends up wrecking three people's days. Um, because of that turn one reaction, Valtteri was right behind him. He had he had to check up because it was obviously Joe was so slow in front of him. So uh, how many but, times do we see Valtteri Bottas just competing with like oh severe floor damage? He's like three seconds off the pace, like and he four just has, times, like four <laughs> times, and he's just like he just has the saddest run to like seventeenth for four weekends. The man was so unlucky this year. Like, it's half the time he was in contention for points, and it was just like. And Vegas. in Singapore, it's because he ran over debris from Joe's car. <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> like, that was the second time he did Because I remember in, in Saudi Arabia, he drove over Gasly's broken front piece that was a hit he had with Oscar Piastri. And he, again, ruined his floor, completely destroyed his race. Valtteri was so unlucky this year. It's, it's, it's incredible that the most prominent thing he did all year was bear his ass for charity. And by the way, he raised over $120,000 um, for November. So well done, Valtteri. Love, love your got, work, big got the, got the boat's ass calendar on the board. That's probably the most exciting thing that happened this year. Uh, Both drivers I mean, incredibly the- photogenic, but it's not getting them anywhere. Dre, what do you think they do heading into 2026? Because... Valtteri Bottas is also coming to the sunset of his Formula One career. He turns mm. 35 next year. That's basically like ancient in Formula One terms. <laughs> These days, and, yeah. and we still don't know if Zhou Guan Yu is ever going to take that next step. You figure Teo Porcher is going to be in the picture, but if there's ever free agents in this Formula One driver market again, you got to think out he's got to take a swing at somebody, right? <laughs> I- that's the thing. Like this team has been so milk toast in the last year and a half. I'm not sure how much of this I can pin on the drivers. It's a very weird scenario where, 
like where does Alpha's responsibility stop and where does Joe and Valtteri start? It's very, very bizarre. And look, they've both been retained for 2024. Joe Guanyu was probably the bit more questionable one. Teo Porcher won the Formula 2 title, but I suspect he probably didn't win it convincingly enough to really say, look, this is what you're missing out on. Um, and not, that's a not shame. When, like, not when he was projected to have a walkover and then had to fight for it for much of the year. Um, one I mean, he, did it, he did it through steady consistency, whereas Frederick Vesti was just racking up wins. If you're ever familiar with the 2003 story of Matt Kenseth versus Ryan Newman, it was a little, <laughs> little bit like that. Yeah, like please, po- po- please po- don't play off Serena. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Porsche won one Formula Two race this year. Frederick Vesti won six, and that was always going. To, and Frederick Vesti was not being touted as, as an F one level prospect entering this year in the first place. That was the problem. It's um, a shame because Vesti's good. I think Vesti is good enough. We are still talking about the youngest ever Formula Two race winner and a guy that was a runner-up last year to Drogovic having a completely cracked Mechachrome setup at MP last year, which they were not able to replicate after he left. Funny that. They, um, got, one of, they got one of the good engines. Yeah, um, yeah I mean... Yeah, Karen makes a good point in the chat as well, Cam, sorry to cut you, but yeah. she, says, she says, if Jack Dewan's car had worked for the whole year, I don't know if Porsche would have won. It shouldn't have come down to the last race of the season, even mathematically for him. Hard yeah. not to agree with that because Jack Dewan was very good to start the year as well. I think they need to do a clean sheet new car for next year, which apparently you, they are. Which that that is the that is the thought process around it, but uh, it's Sauber, and unfortunately, it's not the good Sauber. It's not the Sauber that's picking fights with Alonso for wins in Malaysia. Um, it's the Sauber of they're just kind of there. And no matter what ideas they throw at the car and who's in the seats, they're just kind of there. And I feel like they're just going to be there until Audi takes the reins. And that's kind of what it feels like. It feels like even if they put Porsche in there, would it make a massive difference? Is he that much better than Joe? I'm not. I, the fact I can't say that with full definition probably says they've made the right move. I, I, I mean, don't know, what's a driver swap going to do? Is is it going to get them an average finish of 12th rather than 14th? That's just kind of how this team feels right now. Yeah, it's just sort of just there at the moment. And that's, that's the problem. And that sucks. And I, I, again, they're a good team. I want them to do well. I hope they have a nice big sponsor next year. And look, again, it's good for everybody if Audi does well. But they're going to have to get through this rough patch first. And that's going to be an issue. Um, and that's kind of where they're at right now. That's right. Also, Terry Porcher, newest Super Formula rookie. You could check out all of that season somewhere. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you know when eventually a team... SFGO.jp, the official SF, this official Super Formula app, which has some of the best telemetry in the business, actually puts F1 TVs to shame. Absolutely. Anyway, time very, to very talk good. about the successor to the successor to my favorite Formula One team, Scuderia, AlphaTauri, Toro Rosso, Minority Racing Bulls, Team Fianza. Yeah, them. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, which, will, which will no longer be named that next season. We'll have to wait and see what the rebranded uh, Red Bull 2 team is going to be. Eighth in the Constructors with 25 points. 
I'm not going to go into all the head-to-heads, otherwise we'll be here next week, because we all know they had three drivers in the second seat. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I love that RJ puts, if the freeze, Ricardo and Lawson were one driver, Sonoda leads 16-6 in qualifying and 12-7 in races against. Don't ask us to mash up all three drivers' names. I tried. I tried. <laughs> it was a train wreck. Yuki himself was 14th in the standings, 17 points, six times in the points. Best finish was eighth, and the fastest lap bonus he got in Austin. His average on the year was 13.6. I'm not going to go into all three of the other guys as well. We all know the threes didn't make it past halfway. Um, Daniel Ricciardo was 17th with seven points, had a seventh in Mexico. Average was 12.7 in the seven races he took part in. Lawson. 20th in the points, had had the was it, it was the ninth in Singapore where he got the two points. Average finish was 12.2, the best of any Alpha Tari driver we had on the year. In the five races he played a cameo in, um, as well as obviously being super formula championship runner up as well. That's worth mentioning. The first question I gotta ask is like shout out to them because they made genuine progress this year. They were terrible the first half of the year. Had two points through the first half of the championship. And 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 it wasn't just speed. They were atrocious on strategy for a lot of the year. The exact opposite of their sister team. Yeah, they were just bad across the board. And, like, they... (sighs) It's weird because, like, they threw the house at this. And from what I remember reading up, no team brought more upgrades across the season than AlphaTauri did. That is correct. sheer quantity. Um, And And the last batch of them, the last batch of them was really working because after Mm. Liam Lawson got that ninth place in Singapore, they had five points on the year. They quintupled that in the five last races of the season. Practically speaking, it was a it was as much of a B spec car as you can get without changing the top. They changed the whole car. Um, thoughts are is that they brought some goodies from the RB19, which you are allowed to do as long as they're on the right list on the mm-hmm. back end of the car. Did wonders for them. Um, and both Yuki and Daniel put them to good use in the closing rounds. Yeah, they they had a car in the points four out of the last five rounds. Probably should have had more, but again, I'll talk more about more, more about that with Daniel Ricciardo in a minute. But uh, Yuki Sonoda, genuine progress, or was it fool's gold because of the chaos of the team around him? Genuine I think it's progress. Gen- uh, I'm, I agree. I'm inclined to agree. I, we're all in agreement here. Like, there's still flashes of madness sometimes. Mexico City comes to mind, but Ooh. he's a more complete driver than he was over the than he has been over the previous two seasons. I'll be real with you. The Yuki of early 22 and throughout 21 wouldn't have been in position to throw away Mexico City because he probably would have thrown it away already. Um, He he shined bright when the upgrades came into play because he was regularly in the points. He was shining bright before that. I mean, Trey, how many 11th places? Just giving it her all she's got, Captain, trying to get in the points. Esteban Gutierrez would love these amount of second 11th places. He Just was eleventh trying of his best. Yeah, he was eleventh or tenth in the first five races of the year. He was consistently punching on the door of points, even when the car was at its worst. And when he did have a good car, he was regularly in the top eight. That's about Let's, as much as you could ask for him. 
let's not forget this year started in preseason testing with Franz Toss going, I don't trust my engineers anymore. They said this car was going to be amazing, and it's awful. And they they were expecting Sonoda to make Q3 appearances and get in the points. He did. Sonoda held up his end of the deal, in my humble opinion. I think he's definitely taken a step forward as a driver. I'm going to be very intrigued to see how he gets on with, with a full year next year with Daniel Ricciardo in the other seat. Now, I don't know about you, fellas, but I almost feel like the Ricciardo comeback was inconclusive because he had that hand injury, broke his metacarpal in Zandvoort, missed five rounds as a result of that metacarpal injury um, in, in, in his hand. And... When he came back, he was just—he was so unlucky. Like Brazil, his rear wing was damaged, yeah. and 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 Mexico was the big outlier. But besides that, it just didn't happen for Ricardo. Madre, mm. you pointed out earlier when we were debating before they made their decision on drivers. You don't bring Danny Ricardo off the couch and off of what would have been a very cushy ESPN gig with Will Arnett to just give him like half a season and say, "Okay, you had your fun, had one last crack at it. Now get out." No, you bring him no, back that's... because you probably think that the old Daniel Ricardo is still lying there somewhere and maybe good enough to be Max Verstappen's teammate sometime down the road. Red Bull talked about it at length this year where, I mean, they plugged Ricardo into the sim and they were mortified at what the McLaren had done to his driving style because it's like this is not the Daniel Ricardo who was giving everyone a bloody nose back in 2017 2018 um and forget we forget he was as much as Verstappen did come on song mid 2018 Daniel Ricardo's car was held together by toothpicks and chewing gum for most of the year and even when he was having a good weekend Renault engine moment. Um, I mean, I can kind of sum it up like this. Nick DeVries got fried like Popeye's chicken. We don't have to feel too bad for him because he got a much better deal out of this. Well, one and a half good deals out of this. He gets to be the problem guy in the seven Toyota instead of Jose Maria Lopez. Hey, hey, that's that's better than just having the Mahindra deal. It is. indeed. Yes, it is. And uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't agree more, Dre. It's Mexico is the big outlier. Daniel Ricardo w- was on fire in Mexico City. He looked like the Daniel of old. Sixth. Yeah, one lap longer, he finishes sixth, and he beat uh, George Russell openly admitted after that race. One more lap, and he beats me. Um, and yeah, that was the one big Ricardo result he had after the comeback. Everything else was either riddled with bad luck or largely inconclusive. Um, and it's muted by the fact that, you know, once Lawson got thrown in the car, relative to where Tor AlphaTari was at the time, Freudian slip, <laughs> he looked just as good, if not better. He yeah, looked Liam like somebody Lawson you could drop in that car full time. Rock solid. Yeah. Was- every, every time he got in the car. Yeah, like you, you could not, you could not have asked any more out of a stand-in performance than Liam Lawson's five rounds he had when he filled in for Ricardo's injury. He was superb, um, regularly fighting for points. Got into Q3 in Singapore. Got in the points in Singapore. Was racing Sonoda hard on his level on Sonoda's home track at Japan as well. Lawson is legit, no question. 
but he's on the pine again for next year, which is a real shame because he's good enough to be. A, he, I think he was good enough and he did enough to justify being on the grid for next year. We but got I'm a just, decent sample size. But we got a, we got a good sample size, and I think unfortunately we're now in a situation where. Williams is now a direct competitor to the Alpha Tauri team, so I can understand why Rebel wouldn't want to loan him out and make a, a rival team better, which we'll get to very shortly. Because let's be real here, this is no longer a junior team. This is now a sister team. Daniel mm-hmm. Ricciardo and Nick DeFries getting opportunities this year was all the proof that Rebel's academy, at least for now, has ran dry. Isaac Hadger, Zane Maloney, maybe they come up with something big in F2 next year. But for now, this is who they've got. This is the best they've got. And they still are going to give Ricardo one more year to see if he's good enough to usurp Perez. But yeah, um, And this all yeah. happened because Nick DeVries got a one-off in a Williams, got the result of the Williams, and they couldn't get Colton Herta to get a super license in time. Yeah. It's all through that, and Herter, they weren't they weren't going to bend the rules for Colton Herter, and understandably so. So, yeah, um, and as Jason points out in that chat as well, Dennis Hauger's left that umbrella as well. Red Bull's having a bit of a general clear out of their academy at the moment, so they're reloading. We're going to have to wait and see what happens in the end of 2024. But this is an Alpha Tauri team in a strange place, and let's not forget, Franz Tost is gone. After yeah, that's the other big thing too. Franz Tost uh, retiring from his post. He's been. Mr. Toro Rosso Alfatari since Red Bull bought up my favorite team at the end of 2005. 18 years as team principal. 18 years. Tw- so 20 no, so going to be general. Laurent Mackey's. Ferrari's former sporting director. Um, good luck. Good. I think good he can do it. I well, think you wash question. the Ferrari off of him. I think he can do it. Well, I suppose the bigger question is they're going to have a little bit of a different relationship to Red Bull going next year, where now it's going to be more like what Haas do with Ferrari, where as much of the RB, whatever they call it this year, they can buy to put into their own car. That's what they're going to do. That's realistically what they should have been doing because they went opposite in a lot of areas this year to their sister team. I think their sister team proved fairly competitive across the year. Mm -hmm. They did. I think I think they have, they have a lot more reason to be optimistic entering this offseason than, than they were at the top, certainly. If, 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 if it tracks like what they're at towards the end of the year, this is a top five team. This will be a team yeah, that will be and, in, and you have in the two mix of proven, two very well-proven drivers to lead your team into the next season. Yeah, and I like Lauren Mekis as a, as a sporting director, so I, I look forward to seeing what he can do with that team. Or maybe a fresh perspective on development might actually help them in the long run. We'll have to wait and see. But there's a lot of potential in this team, which, I mean, they, they narrowly lost that fight with our next team, Williams, um, who ended up getting off the bottom for the first time. This is time. the best last I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I have to stress. Alex Albon, when this season started, said, we just want to be a better last. Well, how does how does seventh do for you, Alex? It's such a good last that they weren't last by three. By three. My yeah. Seventh place in the Constructors, 28 points. Um, clean sweeps in races both finished and qualifying for Alex Albon. 19-0 in qualifying, 15-0 in races. The rare double donut in F1. We don't get that very often. Best finish was seventh. They did it twice, Albon, in Canada and at Monza. Um, 
And yeah, Albon 13th in the standings with 27 out of those 28 points, seven times in the points. As mentioned, best finish seventh place twice, both from him. Average finish was 12.4, very solid. Logan Sargent, 21st in the points. Yes, he finished behind Liam Lawson. Rough. Uh, just in the points, just the once at his at his home round at Cota um, after the disqualifications kicked in. Um, best finish was, as I said, 10th at that very race. Average finish, the worst of any full-timer, 15.8 on the year. Um, before we get cracking, a massive shout out to James Vowles, who has done a tremendous Him. job. In, unbelievable job from James Vowles in 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 the in the growth setup this year. Like I, I've mentioned it before on this show, but again, I, I have friends that genuinely work at Williams, and they gush when they talk about James Vowles, how hands-on he is, how how good a person he is. He knows everybody by name, how welcoming the team has been. And also not being afraid to get his hands dirty and say, look, this is what I had at Brackley. Because he was there for 20 years at Brackley, you know, from the days of when it were called BAR. And, and he's turned them around by getting his hands under the hood. Um, and turning them into a team that's got some genuine promise for the first time in a while. He's been yeah. sensational. You couldn't have picked anyone better. I cannot stress it because when we've talked about Williams in the last few years, when the team, when the family sold the team, there have been many times we're thinking, is, is this going to be the, among the last we see of Williams racing? This ever team died. In any capacity? This team died from the pandemic. It needed to make it out the other side. <laughs> yeah, this is not the Williams. This is the bones of the old Williams team under new management, financially and otherwise. And Val's talked about it this year. A lot of their internal systems were from when BMW funded this team. BMW Williams is the bones of this team from a developmental perspective. Um, and they haven't been in this sport since 2005. And first of all, you said, James, they could not have picked someone better for the job. James Vowles is exactly the right leader, the right personality. He's the guy that they thought Patty Lowe was going to be five years ago. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I don't think Patty Lowe had much of an opportunity to succeed either. Yeah. But under, you know, Doralton, I think, has taken a generally hands off view with the team of do what you need to, to get this team, get this ship righted. And they have for the most part. I mean, this car is almost like the opposite of the Haas in a certain way, not in the sense of no qualifying all race pace, but rather when this car peaks in low downforce trim, when it's a fast flowing track, this car shines Uh, last year's car shined to an extent like that. But this one, Cured some of its problems, cured some of its downforce deficiencies, and it was a car you could lean on, especially in Alex Albon's case. And Alex he did. Albon. Alex Albon. Redemption. What's probably, probably, I would say, we know is winning driver of the year. Albon's got to be in podium contention, at least second or third place. Oh, oh yeah, I, I, for I, me, I had him sixth. <laughs> I was just really harsh. I, I think he's oh, that's because hard. I mean, there is there is a block of four. It. There there is a block of four in my opinion that above, obviously below Max. 
Hamilton, Alonso, Norris, and Leclerc had to be two through five, in my opinion. <laughs> but Albon was sixth on my list. That's close. Sorry, Twenty-seven points. Twenty-seven He's... points in that car could, is a phenomenal effort. It could have been more. It could have been, been more. Um, their reliability was not one hundred percent this year. Um, they spun out, and, they spun out in Australia from P6. <laughs> and that's, that is probably the only big black mark on his season. But he was also driving that thing at like 13 tenths trying to keep sixth. Mm. Uh, so I, I think, first of all, that man needs, as Jason puts in our chat, full spinal <laughs> reconstruction. From carrying that team, <laughs> smoking Alex Salbon spinal fluid infused perks. <laughs> um, but he, there was another couple of scenarios where they got him up the field, and in combination of driving and straight line speed, because this thing was a damn bullet in a straight line, they put the onus on him. You're up the field, defend it, and he did. And he ended up being the big one. That was with Esteban Ocon and Lando Norris in superior machinery all round behind him, and he found the way to make it work. Uh, I'm not so sure I'd call the McLaren at that point in the season superior machinery. Much more on that later. Yes, but uh, still, I mean, <sighs> the other side of the garage is one that's worth talking about because we do, we've not talked F1 in a while since the last time we did so. They have now confirmed Logan Sargent will be in the car for 2024. So, what Logan the fuck will... is 3,280 feet? <laughs> Etc. <cetera. laughs> Shout out LS2 updates on Twitter, one, one of the best accounts there. Yes. Um, so, they've now, they're going to keep Logan Sargent. Was this the right call? We, we had to hesitate a bit, which means that there's probably a little bit of doubt. But, Dre, you've talked about it before. It, eventually, mm. it got to the stage where Williams is now AlphaTauri, Racing Bulls, Toro Rosso, whatever's competition. They're not going to loan Liam Lawson after that. No. And then the, the options start to thin out. Felipe Drogovic is allergic to doing anything outside of Formula One. Uh, they apparently didn't like the Mick Schumacher date in the simulator, so he's going to drive with Alpine. And then it just leaves with the point. It's just like, well, maybe by process of elimination, you just you got to roll with Logan Sargent for a second year and hope he improves. And you got to hope he improves because, like, the benchmark for him was just to be better than what Latifi was relative to Alexander Albon at the time that Latifi was there. And he wasn't. Not really. You know, the it's thing is, uh, you killed the man, but not the idea. Um, you know, when it was good, it was, I'd say, solid from Logan because, look, Alex Albon is a top, you know, minimum top 10, top six driver in this field. He's very, very good. Mm -hmm. And we know, I mean, look, he's not Max Verstappen. He can't drive a car on uh, 10 sensitivity. But mm -hmm. you can set a car up for him that is going to be a bit of an axe murderer, but it's fast and he can live with it. Um, when it was bad for Logan, it was in the wall. It was in the wall. Yeah, that that um, Japan that Japan crash was the single most expensive incident of the entire season. That was over three million quid's worth of damage alone. That Japan broke the whole car off. That Japan incident was where I was thinking he's probably one and done, but he salvaged something at the very end. He's just 
he's got he's got to drive within himself. He's in somehow he's got to step up his game in terms of like he's got to get the floor down. up. You know, yeah, it, it, the ceiling. I think the ceiling is fine for, as a rookie up against Alex Albon in mm-hmm. a relatively difficult car to drive. The floor yeah, what, was yeah. pretty atrocious. Yeah, what I was going to say here is is that I think I think the sunk cost fallacy of Logan is probably you know is is probably worth giving him a second year because I don't think there's an uh, there's an obvious second option that screams out. I mean, they they apparently Val's looked at mixed simulator data, didn't like what he saw, didn't chase it up any further than that, which makes me sad. Um, which is a weird because Total Wolf gassed the ever loving shit out of Mick Schumacher when he was in that when he was in that um, reserve driver role. But he'll still be a Mercedes reserve driver, strangely enough. Yeah, alongside yeah. his Alpine hypercar gig with with Mechachrome engines. Yay! Yeah, yeah because when it. you think reliability that's going to get you through 24 hours, you think the F2 engine. Yeah. I, I think now. there's an opportunity for the funniest thing possible, but this is not a Le Mans preview. <laughs> right. Now, as, as, Please, as, as no. As Guillermo like Pantrani says in the chat, they said they called them up a year early, and they really, really did. I fully agree with that sentiment. And look, James Vowles admitted as such. He said, look, at the start of the year, we, you know, we we are limited to how much track time a rookie can get in Formula One. It's expensive to run tests. We basically gave him four days and was like, okay, here you go. Here's an F1 car for the first time. And he struggled. And and, and but Vals has given him every chance. And I respect the fact that he has given him a second year. Because I think more drivers should get second years in F1 to try and prove themselves. If they, Look, if, drivers if they are not around. automatically damaged goods because they had one bad year. Agree. Um, Yuki, Yuki that, Sonoda is walking proof of that in my <laughs> opinion. Alex Albon's proof of that. Absolutely. Alex Albon <laughs> might be the best example of that on the entire grid. Right. Um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> he needs to improve. He, he, he needs to show more in year two. Look, there are a, f- a fair few races this season where Sargent was within walking distance of Albon on track, and that is a good That's sign. That's all you can ask. If he can do that more consistently throughout 2024, he'll be fine. But he needs to be doing that every week, not just this one. And maybe we'll have to see how that goes. Next up on the list, and uh, we've got a, a bit of a jump, and I love that in our notes here, we, we got the uh, the Aldas thumbnail of no progress pointing at, uh, at the Alpine. No which I think progress. The F1 team fighting absolutely no one. Alpine. Alpine, <sighs> Formula One team. No, uh. no, no man's land. They are, they, they, I love that they ended up, I want to say, 92 points ahead of Williams for sixth but also 160 behind the next nearest team. They were in an F1 wasteland. They they were they were sixth overall, 120 points. In head-to-head stats, Gasly was up 14-8 in qualifying, but interestingly, Ocon was up 10-6 in races they both finished. Note how I only said 10-6. More on that later. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of puts it in perspective, don't it? Two podiums on the year, one from each, Monaco and Zandvoort respectively. Um, Gasly was 11th in the standings with uh, 62 points, one podium, 10 times in the points. Average finish was 10.7. Not bad from Gasly, I have to say. Ocon's was 12th in the points of 58. Again, one podium, 12 times, 12 times in the points. Average finish was 11.9. Now, 
I think Jason summed up this section better than any of us on three on the show could. Alpine was more famous for their quotes this year than they were for the performance. And mostly the quotes of people that were no longer working for Alpine. (laughs) Of which there are many. Is it a good sign when halfway through your season... Um, former non-executive chairman Alan Prost says that to you that Lauren Rossi, the now move the side CEO, was uh, quote a terrible leader and a walking example of the Dunning Kruger effect. Not as good as Otmar Safnauer saying you can't expect <laughs> to have sex with nine women and expect a baby in a month. <laughs> What's a quote? What's a quote, dude? Dude, was that, uh, was that our at the buzzer fifth finalist for quote of the year? Absolutely, but God, dude, um, dude. you know, I'll get the the on track side of things out of the way first. Their Nerd. engine is trash. Nobody wants this engine to help it help them get feedback to improve upon. There's no development though. We're in an engine no, freeze. And we're in an engine freeze, so this is what they're stuck with. Alpine eventually backed out of this, but Otmar, before he was moved on, was screaming to the heavens to anyone prepared to listen that they thought they were as much as 35 horsepower down on their rivals. Uh I believe it. And I think it's more than that, not in a sense of amount, but it's the way that their car makes its regen, uh, regens its power um, via the ERS. On tracks with a lot of braking, they're all right. Um, hmm. Actually, given how good we think their chassis is, there were times where they would strip the downforce off, be okay in the corners. They had the fastest car in a straight line in the speed traps. Something, right. something, McLaren best chassis in F1 joke. Yes, um, but then there were tracks where there wasn't a lot of braking, and you rely more on your MGUH. And Esteban Ocon's car was derating halfway down the Kemmel, <laughs> trying to pass people. Couldn't pass anything going down the straights. Um, and Pierre Gasly did everything everything in his power in defiance of God and man to get a race ban didn't quite get there because the incident that should have caused his race ban was him and his teammate having an enormous crash. Which is crazy because of all the stories that we heard about Gasly and Ocon don't like each other. They'll never get along after Australia. It's just like, I can't really think of anything where they really, really came to blows and it was fairly close throughout the season. Maybe Gasly Japan. was the better. Yeah, maybe Japan, but it was evenly matched. And, you know, you just the drivers aren't the problem here at Alpine. No, the drivers aren't the problem. I don't think they, Enstone is the problem as far as the actual car that they put the engine into and that these um, series of fired people run. But man, it's it's and that and that you know leans into nicely as to where we think the real problem is and that was the the internals at this team are grossly out of whack like every major headline that alpine drew this year off the track because i was i mean they had a couple of really good days they had two genuinely outstanding podiums galaxy had a sprint podium in spa as well that's worth mentioning he was third that 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 saturday as well 
they got rid of Otmar Snafnauer and Alan Parmain. Alan, Alan Parmain is, is, has been with Enstone for 30 plus years. Um, and this is two more names, even three if you encounter Lauren Rossi being moved into special projects um, at Alpine rather than, um, shall we say, a CEO of the team. And, and Prost. And Prost was gone as non-executive chairman. Marcin Budkowski was, 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 was gone two years ago. They lost both their main drivers last year in embarrassing fashion. They lost the chief technical officer, uh, and Pat, Pat Fry is going to Williams next year. And um, Davide is now gone as well as their head of driver development as well. This is, this is a lot of turnover. It's a hellacious amount of turnover. It's a huge amount of turnover. This is like this is not healthy of a, of a business to have this many key names. We're like, like let's be this way. Bruno Fanman is now their interim team boss. Everybody else has been moved from their key roles at least once in the last four years at Alpine. This is their worst result as a constructor since becoming Alpine. Even if you strike the Ocon win off the board uh, in twenty one. And we know the problems that their previous generation power unit had and the sheer amount of fuckery that got them that win in Hungary two years ago. Um, even if you struck that off the board, that would, that would still be ahead. Uh, this is the lowest amount of points they've scored as a constructor since becoming Alpine. And God, they looked worse this year than the last couple of years as Renault. But Cam, Trey. Look at the new investors bringing in. They got Ryan Reynolds. They got Rob McElhenney, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Rory McElroy's here, Trent Alexander, Arnold, Michael God, B. Jordan, Please, God, tell me this doesn't Anthony end with... Anthony Joshua! Hang on. Please tell me this doesn't end with Kadarius Tony. <laughs> Damn. We just dated this podcast and also... That's tough, Chiefs. Yes. <laughs> okay, Bills fan. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I don't... I don't think it matters because... While we're under this engine freeze, I think they're at their ceiling. That's, that's the thing. They sold 24% of their team off in the middle of the year to that big consortium of celebrities to raise an extra 200 million euros in cash. Now, call me crazy, but if you're... And Bruno Faman kept mentioning this word a lot. He did... When, when, when that spa weekend happened where all the news broke down, they mentioned... You mentioned the word project 16 times. How good is a project if you've got to sell off a quarter of it to keep your head above water? How long have we been talking about this as a project or, uh, you know, year 37 of the five-year plan? Um, 100 race plan, it? I have, you know. Is it, oh, is it it's like that gone, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just don't see how they beat the teams ahead of them with a 35-something horsepower deficit more on more uh, throttle-intensive tracks. Um, I don't see how they can organize themselves in such a way to move forward while they're burning through staff quicker than any other team on the grid, including Ferrari. Yeah, that's a, that says something. It says a lot when you're a hotter mess internally than Ferrari is. Didn't know that was possible. And yeah, here we are. Um, yeah, long story short, the drivers are class. This was Pierre Gasly's best year in F1, in my opinion. I feel oh, yeah. finally, he finally matched up well with someone. The quality of his diet stunk before this. Um, I think both of them were I think very both good. Both of them were dead solid all year. Esteban Ocon is a hell of a driver in race trim. 
No one has done more. Anyone in race trim, he is bulletproof. Hell of a defender as well. No one has done more with less in F1 this year than Esteban Ocon. None. Maybe Alex Albon. That's about it. Consistently Um, the most disrespected man on this grid. 100%. Aston Martin, P5. Oh, there's a lot to unpack here. Bit of a gap. 280 points compared to 55 <laughs> last year. It's a, it's a solid, it's a solid game. Yeah. Um, I mean, is it a, Cam, is it a good year when he times your point mm. total by five uh, on, on the previous year? The gap is so big, it killed generally, you. I think that's generally pretty good going. Um, head to head, Alonso up 19-3 in qualifying, 14-2 in races. They both oh, finished. That's a whooping. Um, this guy does not want him slandering Lance Stroll. Uh, highest finish second. Did it? Did it three? Like Alonso had three second places on the year. Um, Alonso fourth in the standings, two hundred and six points, eight podiums, nineteen times in the points. Was second on three occasions. Average finish of six point six for Alonso this year, which is just outstanding. Even uh, he was in the fifth best car. Lance Stroll tenth in points of seventy four. Twelve top tens. Best finish was fourth in Australia. Average finish eleven point two out of the twenty races that he took part in this year. So Fernando Alonso, fair to say, still him. <sighs> Oh, categorically. You can hate the man, you can hate the way he sulks, you can hate the way he drives, but you cannot doubt that even at age 42, he's still very, very good. Really, really good at driving these F1 cars. Yeah. I can't think of many weekends across the year where he didn't get the most that was on the table, and that's all that you can ask. There were weekends where he punched above where the car had any right to be because... As we will detail, there were days where this team was really good. There was days where this team looked like their old selves from last year and the year before. Fernando Alonso, in his age 42 season, according to the man himself, had his best year in F1 in 11 years. Which is great. It's crazy because he's contended for titles in that span. Yeah, I mean, let's just go about this. Um, first, uh, First few races of this year. Fernando Alonso, third, 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 fourth, third, second, seventh. Bit of an outlier, floor damage. And then second in Canada. Incredible to start the year. Incredible all year long. I mean, I've, I mentioned it in my season review. I mentioned it again here. If I can't think of a better we have arrived moment in recent F1 history than Fernando sending it down the inside of Lewis Hamilton into turn 10 in Bahrain. For me, one of the best passes of in, in, in any form of motorsport this year, and that was the Aston Martin we have arrived moment. That was incredible. Because well, we didn't want to believe it up to that point. I mean, mm. we saw them in preseason. Cars very beautifully detailed a lot of nice interesting uh concepts on it not nearly as much of a red bull concept as people would have you believe but neither here nor there um and they were really good in preseason they're like okay they're gonna be better than they were last year so ooh, they might be fighting for some solid points oh they might be the second best team right (laughs) and uh and that that showed in the first race. I mean, there was a bad Alonso had a bad first lap, ironically, to, as a direct result of his teammate, and he cut back through. 
Um, you don't send it up the inside of Lewis Hamilton at turn 10 in Bahrain. He did. It's an, it's an impossible pass normally. <laughs> yeah, that is a hell of a pass, no matter who's doing it on who in any form of motorsport. Um, and it continued from there for about a third of the season. Yeah. And, and then they dipped because pretty much every development part they put on this car made it worse. You know what's crazy, though, is is when Alonzo got back on the podium at Zambord and we're thinking, oh, this was just a, this was just a blip on the radar. We are stabilizing, stabilizing. And no, no, we are stalling. The stick shaker is going off. The, the plane's telling us to pull up. This is going south in a hurry. Yeah. Um, after that initial run, I'd say it ended with Canada. From that point forward, they were just wildly inconsistent. There were weekends where they were very, very quick. There were weekends where they were struggling to score points. I don't think they fundamentally understood their car. And that is something that came back to bite them. I mean, Alonso reverted back at Cota and immediately, like he had a top five car again. A car that was capable of getting into the top five and was one of the fastest dudes on track in Cota before floor damage killed his race early. But I mean, it said to me that they they got one extra podium in Brazil with Alonso's brilliant fight with Checo um, to get that third place in in, in Interlagos. That was after they'd reverted back to a setup that was a lot more like their initial car. This car was always quick, but they didn't understand it, and and it cost them fourth in the championship easily. (laughs) Kind of. Kind of. Because it would have been real useful if they had a second driver at any point of this Formula One season. Oh, man. Lance Stroll was the struggle bus this season. Go on, RJ. I'll just say, I appreciate my deputy editor, race fans, Will Wood, for all the work that he does. And uh, make sure my articles look nice. You know, make sure that you know, everything's good on my side of things when I'm covering stuff like IndyCar, when I'm occasionally contributing to Formula coverage. There's no way Sergio Perez is a worse driver of the year than Lance Stroll. Yeah, and I'm saying this, I, I've, been a, I've been a big Lance Stroll guy since, since before he came up. It frustrates me that he's never been able to realize this potential, and this is just like the peak of it, because it's just like, man, it's buddy. I know Fernando Alonso is still him, but you gotta like, you gotta get up there at some point more than just the, like The annoying two thing weekends. is, is that it started off that way. It started off all right. First four or five races, really first four races, he wasn't as quick as Alonso, but he could keep him within eyesight. And that's what you want. And that's all you can ask. Fernando Alonso is still him, as we've just established. And Fernando Alonso, you put him up against anyone. You may not like the man, but you have to respect the body of work. Um, and then Miami happened. Uh, I get not being able to match Fernando Alonso in equal machinery. I don't get Alonso being on the podium while the other guy's out of the points. And Story of the year, way really. Way too often this year. <laughs> and say yeah. this about Checo: at least he has a car that is capable of cutting through the field when he misses Q three. Unacceptable from Lance Stroll. No one in the field did did less with more than Lance Stroll. Evil um, Esteban Ocon be like. 
Yeah, look, it's it's frustrating because he still has the occasional weekend where you go, okay, this is what we need from you, Lance Stroll. You can see the pieces. You can still see the pieces there. You can uh, occasionally we'll get a wet weekend, and he will be very, very competitive. He's still a Formula One pole setter at the end of the day in some of the worst conditions you'll set a pole in. And then you have races like Monaco where he drove like an ass on lap one, and that's as well as he drove all weekend. Yeah, and look, it's it's hard because it's hard to talk about Lance with any sense of jeopardy because we all know his seat is secure. But over a year, this was his worst year in Formula One for me. And this is year seven for Lance Stroll. He, 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 he can't have this excuse anymore. He needs to be better than this. You need to be better than four or five good Grand Prix across the year, because he did have a few good Grand Prix yeah, across the year. I mean, he was he was terrific in Las Vegas. Vegas, Spain, you know, Brazil. He was Sao Paulo. Few, yeah, as I say, only a few seconds behind Alonso on the road. That's that's fine. Like he's had a few Grand Prix where you go, this is acceptable. This is hope. Like, yeah, you know, okay, no one's it's good even. You, yeah, like no one's expecting you to smash Alonso to bits, but. He had a race, one, two, three, four, five races where he did not score. One of those, including when they had to withdraw him from the weekend because he wrote the car off and himself off in Singapore qualifying. And that was Um, that was in the middle of a run where he got knocked out in Q1 six weekends in a row. And that's just and, and look, the Aston was having problems, as we just established during that time frame. You know what? Alonso still got the thing in the points healthy points on a couple of occasions mm. um if you are a you, because we did find out this year this is going to be a factory team come 2026 this is honda's spearhead into the new engine regulations and also aston martin has other top line projects they have other top line projects they why don't, have why don't you call me over valkyrie da, da, da. <laughs> they have a very good design staff. They haven't even reaped the benefits of their new factory yet. We're going to see that really with this new car Mm. going into next year, but it doesn't give me a a warm, fuzzy feeling inside that while the meat and potatoes of development of the 2024 car were going on, Mm. they reeked. Absolutely. Um, If you are a factory team, and you have world championship aspirations, and you you pick up Honda, you divorce yourself from being a customer. You get jurisdiction over your gearbox and your rear suspension, which they're limited on by what they buy from Mercedes right now. You get jurisdiction over your aero. They're going to have their own wind tunnel. They're going to have their brand new factory. Lance Stroll can't be your guy. Not. He's probably going to be, but if you want to win titles, he can't be. 100%. Like, the, the, the more has to be asked. I think this is the team that could be in a bit of trouble going f- towards 2024 and, be, 2024 and beyond because uh, the rest of the teams around them, I think, have got more upside than they do at the moment. Uh, like, this, has to, this car is fast. No question. It is quick. But this one was fast. Yeah. And then they didn't know how to make it faster. That's the problem. 
that's what dents my confidence in them going forward. Like, have they got a way of making a quick car quicker? Because we all know the three major teams in front of them were all quicker than the back end of the season than they were. And that's going to be a problem. Like, this team is capable of better than fifth. I said it before. A decent second driver, they're fourth. If they understand their car, it could be second. No joke. It was... As we'll get into with our next team, a tale of uh, one third and two thirds of the season. Definitely. And had they had either of these teams put together a full season, they would have been in that fight, that dogfight for second in the constructors. I think that is a great way, a segue into the. How many liveries did they use this year? About five. Jesus (laughs) Christ. McLaren. McLaren. McLaren, fourth in the constructors with 302 points. Norris beat Piastri head-to-head, 15-7 in qualifying, 14-4 in races both finished. They finished second seven times this year. Seven times, including the sprint winning Qatar for Oscar Piastri. Oscar himself was ninth in the standards with 97 points, 11 times in the points, had the sprint win, as well as a couple of podiums, as mentioned, is second place in Qatar's best result of the year. Lando Norris was sixth in points, 205. He was one point or fourth. Um, seven podiums on the year, uh, 16 times in the top 10. Sixth place, second times. So, so six, six times he was second place on the road this year. Fun fact, because he now has 13 podiums, he's now tied Nick Heinfeld for the most of any winless driver in F1 history. Is that Chase oh. Elliott pre-Watkins Glen 2018 type beat? Yes, after so, six eight on the year. So... So I mean, when is MBS going to get caught drunk driving in the Hamptons? That's a question <laughs> for another time. But, Dre, there's one interesting thing about how Norris and Piastri match up, because, like, we're to talk about it. This is this is a very good driving pair. Oscar Piastri had a very solid rookie season. Most drivers would kill to have a rookie season like the one Oscar Piastri had. But Lando Norris is still the man of this team. Yeah, like like Lando Norris is really, really good. I like I, I it's it's I, I almost feel like he's become really? almost underrated in the way that like some of his race performances this year was extraordinary. Like Brazil, where he was keeping pace with Verstappen all day long. Mexico, where he came back from a Q1 exit to finish in the top five. Like there are occasions where Lando is 99% of what Verstappen is. And that is as strong a praise as I can give him in this current F1 climate. In terms of race trim, there are very few in F1 that are now better than Lando Norris. There might only be one in F1 who's who's got who's better over 305 kilometers than Lando Norris is. Um and yeah. He he he's a sensational driver. He really is. And look, I'm glad McLaren turned it round this year because they openly admit they would have lost him if it wasn't for this season. Let's lay it out like this. Through the Austrian Grand Prix, McLaren had amassed 17 points. 17 points. We were well, saying how many did they score after that? 285 in the last 14 oh races God. alone. Yeah. If, I mean, we you, talked if, about it preseason. If if you extrapolated that pace over the rest of the season, they would have had 445 points and they would have finished comfortably second. 
Well, that's the problem with being a Mercedes constructor. You're allowed parts of a good year, but not the whole thing. They no, came no. into this season with debatably the worst car in Formula One. It was awful um, in March. Uh, they were, we talked about it extensively on our preseason coverage, that, uh, man, McLaren International are the worst team in F1. And they don't have an excuse of an engine this time. Um, cost James Key his job. And, I mean, again, bringing about as much of a B-spec car as you can bring without bringing a new tub. Um, they redesigned most of the car in Austria. Lando got fourth that day. And then they redesigned more of it for Britain. Lando got second that day. And then they brought more upgrades in Hungary, and Lando got second that day. And that's how it kind of went for the rest of the season. Um... This is one of the great in-season turnarounds, probably only on the level of like McLaren's own 2004. Or again, they just threw out the whole car, started again, and ooh, we can fight with this. And there was plenty of occasions this year where they, McLaren, who have been down in the dumps on and off for a decade, were beating the snot out of the factory Mercedes team. Gave my bloody nose. I could use this opportunity to be like, hey, we never doubted the McProcess. We never doubted the genius of Zach Brown. But I need to I need to seriously point out Andrea Stella as team principal did a phenomenal job in his first full season with the team. She because, yeah. Taking over from Andrea Seidel is not easy. Nope. And, and Seidel was one of the, yeah. the best in the business from back with the Porsche LMP1 days and through his whole time in F1. Uh, good luck with Sauber, buddy. Um, and this is still on the Toyota wind tunnel as well. The old Toyota wind tunnel. Mm. Um. <sighs> I don't really know what else to say about McLaren. It, it, like, it, it almost beggars belief how different their season was once they changed the car. And they've got big names coming in as well for next year. Rob Marshall coming over from Red Bull, who was their one chief of the designer. Top, one of the top uh, uh, aero guys at Red Bull. Not chief designer. Um, Craig Skinner has got that role over there. But then David Sanchez from Ferrari. Yeah, he, he he built a very fast 2022 Ferrari. That was a hell of a boat they built there with, with that car. That was good enough to challenge for the title only a year ago, in my opinion. If it was for the reliability, which he wasn't responsible for, the car itself was fast as hell. Um, so, yeah. TDO 39 moment. Um, yeah, there is a <laughs> lot that we just don't know about McLaren going into next year with, you know, they're going to have their new wind tunnel. The exalted new wind tunnel that feels like it's been in production forever is going to be where the MCL, whatever they call it next year is born. Um, kind of the forgotten guy in all of this glory with the car changes in Lando Norris, Oscar Piastri had a hell of a rookie season. Very, very fast. Like, like it's if everyone's ever played the F1 manager 22 game, where Oscar comes out of the package of a 91 stat in pace. That's what Oscar Piastri is in real life. His speed is outrageous for a rookie. There's a lot of for days. There's a reason why a lot of us were so ticked off that he didn't get a seat right out the box. 
He was him. Well, he was one of two people to beat a Red Bull over the line in a race session this year, sprint or otherwise. Yeah, it, it just doesn't happen like that any other way. Um, <clears throat> yeah, his raw pace, as good as anyone in F1 right now. Um, he needs to work on his and his tire management and his overall racecraft a little bit. But in terms of just... It's soft, I think, in race trim. Yeah. Like, but in terms of outright raw speed, hmm. sensationally fast, ridiculously quick. You, you could quick. not ask for someone to be fat for, to come in. We know what Lando Norris is about. We've known what Lando Norris is about. He practically ended Daniel Ricardo's career. Hmm. And at least on raw pace, he beat him on a few occasions. We don't have to like the way Zach Brown pulled these strings, but when those strings were pulled, magic happened. It was You out. get a contract, and you get a contract, and you get a contract. Yeah, it, I, I agree with you, Cam. It's hard to get a read on this team for 2024, but they have a lot to look forward to and a lot of reasons to be genuinely excited because if they're... like In terms of raw speed, they might be the closest team to Red Bull right now. They um, are. Um, they are. In my the, opinion. the thing that limited them, and, and ironically, not so much ironically, their car was the closest to the Red Bull in terms of general design vibe by the end of the year. They adopted a lot of what the Red Bull does to manage its airflow across such a vast range of speed, and that is where the Red Bull is an absolute wrecking machine, is that it's good at everything. Mm. Um. I do think there's some telltale stuff that we're probably going to see as soon as that car rolls off the truck, whether they have learned a trick or two or not. But I think if they can just get the tire wear under control, that is their big weakness relative to Red Bull. It's both aero, it's mechanical, it's both. Man, they could snag some wins next year. They could, definitely. They, they they should be in the prime position to pick up the wins when Red Bull falters. If they falter. Well, we call them Lando no wins for long. I'm just saying. Trey, I know you're chomping at the bit to get to oh, everybody's favorite Jesus. team. Everybody's favorite team on this show, Scuderia Ferrari. Is an interesting year for them. Further in the constructors, 403 <coughs> points. Head-to-head, -head, Leclerc up in both categories, 15-7 in qualifying. That's a whooping. 10-5 in races, both finished. Again, note the low count on number of races there. They won. They did win the Singapore Grand Prix. <laughs> the only team to win an actual Grand Prix besides Red Bull. I, I love that RJ put in his notes here. For every Ayrton Senna, there's a Gerhard Berger. For every Max Verstappen, a Carlos Sainz, uh, which I think is <laughs> very funny. Um, Charles was fifth in the points of 206. He lost on third place count back to Fernando Alonso. Five pole positions on the year, six podiums, was second three times, average finish uh, quite low, 8.2, but uh, number one in Spotify charts for F1 drivers the world over. And Carlos Sainz, <laughs> seventh in the points of 200, uh, two poles, a win in Singapore, 18 times in the points, average finish 7.5. Does this, this feel like... This, this feel like feels a, weird. A, this is, it's a weird season for Ferrari, because like I can't say they were outright terrible. I can't. No. I can't. I absolutely like can. Um, 
Because this is Ferrari. A Ferrari that does not win is not a Ferrari. Well, this one, by the skin of its teeth, can be called a Ferrari. Um, on one hand, were it not for some very silly self-inflicted haunts, they would have got second in the Constructors. That DNS in Brazil was a killer. Oof. But... The gulf in pace between them and Red Bull in the opening round where Leclerc was running a comfortable third in no man's land before his engine failed, which then took out his control electronics and put him on a guaranteed grid drop for the year, was ridiculous. Mm. And for about half of this season, this Ferrari was the Haas Plus. You put it on pole, and then you drop like a stone. Mm, the the S, the Sears Ferrari is a machine that turns pole positions, and we're just happy to get third out of the day. Max Verstappen now has <laughs> double-digit wins from Charles Leclerc poles. Charles Leclerc had the full combo DNS, DNF, DSQ. That trick. The unholy oh. trinity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I do think to Ferrari's credit, mm -hmm. I think they spent more of the second half of this year just trying to understand what they had. And I think the upgrade they brought in the United States, other than the fact that they were disqualified for said floor, um, running too low and grounding out their plank. I think they got the car somewhat drivable. But a lot of the old culprits still remain. You bolt on the hard tires and Ferrari dies. Yeah, that was their big problem. The hard tire. Like they still fundamentally don't understand the tires in relation to their car. I think their, their overall setup got a lot better as the year went on. I think that floor upgrade that Leclerc got in Japan was massive because Leclerc went on a tear after that of just really, really strong results. Um, barring the DNS and the DNQ, or the, the, or the SQ and the DNS, DNS that wasn't his fault. Leclerc finished every other round in the top five for seven out of the last nine. He was excellent in the back half of the year. It's what allowed him to overtake signs in the final race in the, of, of the championship on points alone. Charles is still him. I need to make this point absolutely clear. He is extraordinary over a single lap. Incredible. Like no one, like no one over a lapping qualifying speed is better than Charles. He's insanely good at that now. Like it, and it has been for a while. It, it, it's just he. Look, Ferrari. The problem is I, that's the Ferrari. This Ferrari was all year. If you look at the qualifying gaps, you think, "Who gap isn't that big? Maybe they have a chance." And then we go into race day, and Red Bull dismantled them. Dre massaging, his, of the season. Dre massaging his temples is just like the expression of every Ferrari supporter and a lot of us watching Ferrari this season. It's just like, ah, oh, you could be so much better than this. They are the Dallas Cowboys of Formula One. And Carlos Sainz needs to do more. Like, I, I know a lot of people were very quick to hop on the Carlos Sainz wagon, but the moment the Japan floor upgrade hit, Sainz's season hit, hit, the, hit the bricks. You know what's weird to me watching this season? There were times where I wondered, 
hmm, maybe Carlos Sainz is that guy. And then there were times where I wondered for myself why I ever thought that. <laughs> and I feel like there's an equal amount of them across the year because somehow Carlos Sainz had zero podiums until Italy where he stuck the thing on pole and then did his damnedest, but there was no holding back the Red Bull onslaught. And then he won in Singapore. And then besides the podium in USA that he inherited, he didn't do jack shit for the rest of the year. His egg in Abu Dhabi cost Ferrari second in the constructors. Yeah. It was maybe his worst weekend in Formula One. Awful. Just straight awful. Um, And yeah, for me, that is why if Ferrari wants to be serious, they need, they need to build around Charles. I'm sorry, Carlos is not him. You, you like? I don't think like, it makes a difference. If I'm going to be completely honest with you, I think it I does. Think I think I think Leclerc is that much better. <laughs> sure, and they had a, t a huge air of confidence going into the season. They built the fastest car over a single lap for last year's regulations. Did they win the constructors either year? Not even close. Did they win either championship? Did they get either championship to the last race or the second to last race or the third to last race? To have come into 2022 under these regulations with such a quick car with Charles Leclerc in phenomenal form and to be utterly dismantled by a mediocre Mercedes and an ultra dominant Red Bull. Yikes. Yikes. Um, and it's the same trait that we've seen for since 20 since 2019. Ferrari don't get the Pirelli tires. No, it's just they don't get, crazy. Don't, just, just they don't, don't get these tires. Every year, it's either the car is awful in qualifying, but decent in race trim, but not decent enough, or the car is a bullet in qualifying, and then it turns its tires into lava. Three laps into a stint. Um, and I don't think that's building around a driver. I don't think that's... Um, I don't think that's something that you can cure just by moving staff around. They need to figure out why this is happening every year. Because it was the same when Fernando was there. It was the same when Seb was there. And now it's the same with Charles leading the team. They need to find that way of dotting every I and crossing every T because they, they always show flashes that they potentially could, but they've never found a way to get over that side of the, of the, of the mountain. And uh, Jay, there was points in the first half of this season where Red Bull was over two and a half seconds a lap quicker than them on equivalent tires and race trim. That is unbridgeable. Mm -hmm. Good luck to them on that one because they need a bit of a redesign. Um, speaking of redesigns. Oh, God. Mercedes. The messiest second of the constructors you'll ever see. They beat Ferrari by three, 406 points for second and runner-up in the Constructors' Championship. They tied in quarterfinal, 11 each, between Russell and Hamilton. Hamilton was 12-5 up in races, both finished, however. Three second places, but no wins on the year. George Russell was eighth in the points on 175, two podiums, 17 times in the points. Um, average finish was 8.1. Hamilton was third overall, 234 points, one pole position in that. Epic, epic day at Hungary. Six podiums, 
20 times in the points all year out of 22 races. Um, second place on two separate occasions, Mexico being the, the most recent one. Average finish, 6.2. Does it feel like they got the runner-up berth by screwing up the least here? Absolutely. You know what? It does. And you know what? That just goes to show, like, a lot of that's just... I know we're going to sound like a lot of like a lot of the certain people that my other co-hosts just loathe to talk about, but Lewis Hamilton is still him. I'm sorry, uh, but he's still him. <laughs> he was terrific. I'd say for most of this year, I do think he mentally checked out the last couple of races. And honestly, I driving agree. this, dri- driving this hunk of shit, I don't blame him. Um, I will sum up Mercedes's season in a single sentence. In the Bahrain Grand Prix, they saw the gap and they canned their entire season. Yeah, they they got to Bahrain, was beaten by 50 seconds by Red Bull and immediately threw in the towel. They were like, yep, this concept sucks. They scrap. Well, as you know, Zero Side Pods is one of the big, greatest, most insane innovations I've ever seen in my you know, time watching you know, Formula side pod, You know, Side Pods are one of the greatest conventional designs I've ever seen in Formula 1. And it's <laughs> going to be easy to replicate that. Well, and they stuck Side deficit. Pods on this car. Uh, and it didn't do them a lick of good because they still got just fucking curb stomped. They need to start over. They need to do they are medium, starting over. medium and a hard reset. Good thing that they are starting over. They need it. They need it. They need it. The problem um, for starting over is that look that we know the W15 is going to be a clean sheet car. Mm-hmm. If they copy Red Bull, they're not going to beat Red Bull because Red Bull is deep into them. their development curve. Yep. Two years, two years. And we know we'll get to Red Bull later, but we know there's more in the tank. Um, if they go their own path, there's no guarantee of success. But whatever path they pick, it's better than this because this car was an unruly, twitchy, sometimes unreliable, sometimes borderline undrivable, occasionally illegal Formula One car. Unreliable, too. I I never thought that for Mercedes power unit car. And like Russell was having a very good weekend in Australia and his power unit grenaded. (sighs) Um, Nuts. Can we talk about George? George was uh, scrappy, Clumsy. let's call it. Relatively, relatively cheeks. Look, the speed is still there. And I think that's why a lot of people still put him in their top tens and gave him the benefit of the doubt. Look, overall, his raw speed is still as good as Lewis's. No questions asked. Like Over the last two years, they're inseparable over a single lap. They are virtually identical. He was scruffy in races this year, like really side pod, like really scruff. Like, and he'll be the first guy to admit it. I respect George for coming out and saying this was his worst year in Formula One. Um, in general, he was not happy with his race craft and overall race pace in 2023. He and he, he acknowledged as such, and was that he said he had to do better. And look, he still has weekends where he could straight up just beat Lewis comfortably. You know what but it? You know what it? It struck me as. He was Go driving on. too. He was trying too hard. It, it seems that way. It feels like a lot of this year. And Lewis, Lewis had flashes of it too, but I think Lewis can straddle that line quite a bit better. That both of them were just trying to get blood from a stone with this thing. Um, the worst one for me is probably Singapore. 
where he's throwing the house on fresher tires at Lando, who is being dragged along in the DRS by Carlos Sainz. Incredibly canny drive by Carlos Sainz, by the way. Mm. We didn't mention that with his win, but it was a thinking man's drive. Absolutely. Makes you wonder, where was that all year? (laughs) Yeah. And then you see George, who is just viz. You can see it in the body language of the car, just hustling it, forcing it to do what he wants it to do. And he just makes a rookie error, clips the wall, and that's it. Yeah. Um, Retires. And he left a lot of points on the table as a result um, from just trying too hard. Yeah. It wasn't perfect either. No, it was Qatar, of course. No, I, uh, I agree. Qatar was bad. No, I, 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 I agree with Cam. I think Hamilton did check out for the last two or three rounds of the year, certainly. I think that, uh, I think Qatar was, Qatar was just silly. It was a silly incident. He had a silly, it, Lewis actually had, thinking back at it, a few incidents where I just go, what are you doing, man? Italy the, being the other big one where he just, Turbo murdered Oscar Piastri. <laughs> um, and yeah, final three races. Seen a check out, but also one of those races was Brazil. Now, if you think back to 2022, that was the genesis of this year for Mercedes. Mm. They won a race. They think, all right, the W13 are brute force ground effect. Zero side pod concept is the way to go. We've we've bug fixed it. Well, a year down the line, Mercedes were humiliated in Brazil. Absolutely stuffed. They were blown into the weeds by two of their customer teams. And were it not for some fortuitous retirements, I don't think they would have scored points. I think there were times where they were fringe of the points. Toto admitted. Toto admitted we don't make the points if it wasn't if it wasn't for the fact that like if even if Russell's car had continued they wouldn't have made the points. Oh, Russell's Russell was already collapsing. Yeah, and um, it's really hard for me. I mean, Lewis is the constant in all of this. The good far outweighed the bad this year. Even if there was a little bit more bad, I think we're used to from Lewis. I think mm-hmm. product of that product of that is just again trying too hard in a car that just won't work for him and being in the danger zone around other drivers. But you're Mercedes-Benz Formula One team. You brought the world to heel eight years on the bounce. And you have been shut the hell down. Yeah, not not ideal. They, 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 they need... Look, I know they for need a, a miracle. Fact- I know for a fact they are pissed at how far off Red Bull they were this year. They are seething at the fact that the Red Bull completely beat the brakes off them in 2023. Like, you know, and they will try whatever it takes to get back. They're pouring 70 million into their facilities to re- to upgrade Brackley over the next few years. They are serious about trying to mount their way back to the top. And they need it because this we, we don't associate this team with finishing second anymore. Do better. And they probably shouldn't have finished second. At what point this year, Dre, were they the best Mercedes-powered team? Um, Spain and maybe Mexico. That was about it. Yeah, and and that was with Lando Norris looking like he was on fire 
in Mexico only to be bounced in Q1. Um, it's just that neither of those Mercedes customer teams put together a full year. McLaren were destroying them in the second half of this season. Yeah, they started from such a deficit that there was no way for them to catch up. Right. Yeah. And that was the only thing that stopped them because I don't think anybody scored more points than um, than McLaren did in the back half of the year, apart from mm. the team we're going to get to now, Red Bull Racing. The team that scored all the points. Yes, all the points. Red Bull Racing, um, 860 <laughs> points. You thought it would record. be different this time. Yeah, I, I just loaded up this. I loaded up this section with memes. I'll be real. Yeah, the section <laughs> where, where the, the the scene from Space Jam where where the monsters are dunking and they're just going kind of one sided, isn't it? Um, and yeah, and yeah, I am just fluent in over six million forms of kicking your ass. <sighs> Um, what what can we say about Red Bull that we didn't already say across many episodes this season? Um, they uh, they loaded the RB19 off the truck, and the entire Formula One world went, "Oh shit!" Yeah, everybody knew from the moment they unleashed the car in preseason testing that this was a championship winner. We all were kind of hoping Butter. it wasn't. And from day one, they kicked the field's ass. 21 out of 22 wins on the year. The most successful constructor in the history of Formula One over a single season. No one has ever done this. A quick, quick run down the other stats for Stappen. 19-1 up in qualifying. 18-2 in races Holy both fuck. finished on Checo Perez. Over a 1,000 laps led on the year. Max was champion with a new record. 575 points. 19 wins, a new F1 record. Four sprint wins, a new F1 record. His average finish was 1.27. <laughs> Oh my god. Um you know, had I put the money down for them to go perfect on the year, I would have lost that money. But I wouldn't have lost it by much, would I? One Fuck me. point two seven. On the was- year in Grand Prix, Max dropped six places the whole season. How many points did he drop this year? In uh, in Grand Prix specifically, do the math, Trey. It'll take me a little while because of the fastest laps. I'd have, I'd have to factor into that as well. Damn. But if we- you know, while we're while we're queuing that up, you, you want to hear you want to hear something really crazy about this Red Bull season. Mm. Go on. <laughs> no, no, no. Even Max is sick of it now. Because when Max when Max was done beating F1's ass up and down the street, he decided, oh, I'm going to go co-drive the car that wins Jimmy Broadbent's 23 hours of Zolder. And he's, then out he, here, he's out here openly <laughs> campaigning to go run Le Mans with Fernando. It's great. In some um, GT cars, why not? <laughs> yeah, Max Verstappen is a goddamn robot. Where every time he made a mistake, he just made up for it in race. I mean... Hungary, he flubbed the pole lap. Lewis gets pole, so he decides to take the lead immediately and then have what is his biggest winning margins of the year. Well, we won that race by 33 seconds in Hungary. 33. An unholy clobbering. They shelled the field. I once described it as 
You're waiting in qualifying as if Skynet had already launched the missiles and you're waiting for the bombs to drop. That was the Red Bulls every time we went around to Q3. Because that's the thing about this car. It was never all that mighty in qualifying. A couple yeah. of times it was. Red Bull, Ferrari took a lot more pole positions off of them than they should have, arguably. Yeah, because seven. the Ferrari is a one-lap car. And the Red Bull is a car for when the points are paid. And as I mentioned earlier, there were points of this year where Red Bull were two and a half to three seconds a lap clear of the field on raw tire wear. This is the Piranha 2 from Wipeout 64 because the Piranha from 2097 is perfect in everything, but they specifically do not give you weapons. But in Wipeout 64, they <laughs> gave a perfect ship an entire arsenal of ballistic weapons. That's what the RB19 is in the hands of Matt Verstappen. And, and yeah. like, like, like Piranha's owners back then, only with true perfection could they ever achieve the luxury of a smile. Um, <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Hellfire for that one. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, see, you knew, you knew. Um, but look, what more can we say that hasn't already been said by Max Stappen pulled off the single greatest F1 season that's ever been achieved in ridiculous fashion? I, I can't get over that. One point. Two seven for an average finish, and he lost. Two, he lost one win on a broken gearbox in qualifying. Yep, and debatably another win on a strategy an unlucky call. safety car. Uh, safety yeah. car call. Uh, yeah, Panasmith went, went, went with the other car, which is understandable. We didn't lose them. Hey, they still got a one too. Yeah, they didn't do anything as a team. Like as a team, they, they were still perfect. Um, no, and <laughs> this and, was and, and Singapore went unholy. Yeah, and. Look, the only issue we've got with them is Sergio Perez. Yeah, I mean... Again, he is not worse than every other driver but Logan Sargent and Nick DeVries, but this was the... This was... We could put him in the books, probably. Which is crazy. This is probably... Is it the saddest runner-up season in Formula 1 history? Uh, it's right down there with like Ricardo Patrese in the early 90s with the active Williams. It's, oh, yeah. it's bad. Um, and, you know, the problem for Perez, I think, is twofold. I think Miami broke him because Max is down the field. He wasn't able to set a lap in Q3 properly. And this is the Sergio Perez playbook. It's a tire limited race. He's on. He's got clear sailing out front. And Max Verstappen was as fast as him on the same compound of tire. Oh, with a measly couple dozen lap gap on the tires. That was the that was, as the kids say, the I'm not him moment for Sergio Perez. That I was Max expect- Verstappen pointing to the one in park for May like you forgot why I have this. Yes. This is my boomstick, etc. Um, yeah, this was a it was a beating. And and he needs to do like like the qualifying is probably the issue. I think his race pace isn't as bad as people think it is. I just think he needs to give himself less work to do. Um, it was the silly mistakes, Dre. It was yeah. the it was the blowing Every lap in qualifying in Austria on track limits. 100%. He lost four or five Q3 appearances, Q1X or Q2 entrances, I should say, mm. on track limits. 
just being clumsy. And I think the other issue is that you are always going to be faster in a car that is set for oversteer than understeer. That's just, just the way it is. The question is whether you can control it. And Max Verstappen is... Practically speaking, he can drive a car in a way that no one else can. Now, that's not mm. the only fast way to build a car. I think... <sighs> I think Mark faster than what Perez can right now is the thing. Like, Sergio yeah, like, Perez has going to get in? Who's going to get into the Red Bull and set it up the way Max does and live with it the way Max can? It's no one. Look, we, yeah. we, we've we've seen enough evidence over the last half decade to know Max Verstappen's arguably greatest trait is being able to take undrivable cars on paper and extract every living drop of performance out of it. We saw and, it again this year when this car is truly in its element around somewhere like Belgium, where Max can set that thing up neutral to a T, where even the slightest overcorrection, he's going off into the Ardennes. And he just lives with it. Yeah. He just does he just does shit. Um and I he, don't think special. like I, I think it was talked about, I think Mark Hughes was talking about it a couple weeks ago. If you set if you put Max in a car designed around Lewis and Lewis in a car designed around Max, they both just hate it. Yeah. Because they're both so extreme in opposites in the way they drive the car. And that's something that Sergio Perez just can't live with. Again, he was he has been before he got to Red Bull, pound for pound best midfielder of the year for so many years running, but we're now starting to see his limitations. Plus he doesn't have that gambit anymore of being the tire whisperer because Max is better on his tires. Max is better on his tires and he's quicker. It's like you look, you try to look at Max's game and look for holes in it. And I think he will occasionally get flustered if things don't go his way. We saw it in Singapore. But as long as it's within reach, he will just get his head down and just be a metronome behind the wheel. And this car, this unbelievable racing car that Red Bull has designed in tandem with him, they had no reliability retirements on the year. Zero. Zero reliability retirements. One in qualifying, didn't matter. Max was driving through the field in Saudi Arabia like he was in a P1H against GT cars at some points. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just no hole in their game. And by the way, we haven't gotten to the pit wall, who were goddamn geniuses. The pit wall was perfect. Hannah Schmitz was perfect. Callum Nicholas and the pit, pit stop crew. award. Well, we're, 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 we're perfect on the year. They won the DHL pit stop award for the best pit crew over the course hey, uh, of the season. Trey, Red Bull had a bit of a sticky pit stop. What was oh, the time? That was a 3.1. Oh, oh, a sticky pit stop. Oh, it was a 2.3. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. Bro. Yeah, like it's it's a ridiculous team. Its lead driver is ridiculous. If Sergio Perez can figure this out with this car, then he's going to be huge. I think there were signs he was coming back to something near his best towards the end of this season. Um, if he if he's fighting for third and fourth most weekends, that's fine. You know they they can take that um, as long as there's not a team that's in the way directly. You see, argument you can make that like 
Yes, they have fired other drivers for better performances than what Shaco Perez put up relative to Max Verstappen this season. But yeah, you just hope that it turns around because like he's not going to have many more opportunities. He's starting to approach the sunset of a very good career. Look, on current evidence, Sergio Perez is the only hope for intrigue for at least the next two years because it can't be this well it totally can be because this car which was a relatively gentle evolution of the rb18 really a bug fix of the rb18 lighter more refined uh, they barely developed it across the year and they just skull fucked the field according to christian according to christian horner about 60% of this car was still the same car that won the championship in 22. <laughs> we can't be in the business as motorsport people to just hype up the prospect of another 21 and a 22 season. Even you know, when maybe, we know they, maybe we'll go perfect next year. Jesus Christ. <laughs> maybe. You know, I, I would um, take a car that will win 21 other races over the car that will win Singapore, given Singapore is such an outlier track. Ask Mercedes from 2015 on that one. And that leads me to put a needle bow on this season. Gents, before we get out of here, because we've got over two hours on this one, it's been a fun time. What were your overall thoughts on 2023 as a whole, and where are we going for next year? Um, well, the on-track storylines were pretty much cut and dry. I think very much a lot of the intrigue is Formula 1 away from the nuts and bolts of qualifying and racing. I think the off-track intrigue, the business side of it, that's where the spice is. Uh, I'm going to agree on that, and I will say this. Mercedes and Ferrari categorically failed in 2023. They better start producing results. Because, uh... I don't see much change in the pecking order for the next two years. If anything, I think McLaren are best position to pick up the pieces where Red Bull falter. Stop. Yeah, there it is. Enough. <laughs> Base boosted. I get up so high. <laughs> if I were to make a prediction for next year, it's that Lando no wins as a title dies. Agreed. Um, but also at the same time, Red Bull missed on one accolade this year. They're going to want that one. Um, What I would say across the board is... <sighs> this was an interesting season. More interesting than I think some people want to pretend that it was. Yes, Red Bull dominated the year. And in the eyes of many, that's all that matters. I thought we had a genuinely fascinating fight for second all year long between Mercedes, Ferrari, and of course, McLaren and Aston Martin making cameo appearances throughout the year. I thought we had an intriguing fight for seventh between Williams, Alpha Tauri, Hassan Alpha, and how that storyline played out. I think, sadly, again, I think the off-track politics overtook a lot of what happened on the track, for better or worse. Um, I like drama as much as the next guy, but a lot of it was redundant and constant mudslinging that we've had from the previous two years. Um, I know a lot of people have been very quick to say, is this F1 entering a slump era? I don't agree with that notion. Um, We're just I returning think, to par. I think this is us re- regressing to the mean again. I, they, they can't all be 2021, is what I, was what I often tell people. Um, this was a, an F1 season much nearer to convention than than 
the outliers that have been the intensely great title fights that we had previously. Um, I think a lot of people are going to readdress their relationship with Formula One over this offseason and realize that and how we go from there is going to be interesting, to say the least. Um, I don't think anyone's going to usurp Red Bull next year um, and depose them from the top from the top of the tree. Maybe McLaren can steal a win or two. Maybe Ferrari can steal a win or two if everything goes right for them. I think they've got a, a, a fast car in certain instances, and that might be enough for them to steal one or two. Um, but overall, I think it's going to be a year of... of refreshment but maybe not in the way that people were hoping it was going to be i think this is going to be a, a, a palate cleansing off season for for formula one in general um as we get into 2024 that's unless somebody uh, kicks off some really unnecessary shit storm in the off season we've Again. already had one <sighs> yeah um to the greater formula one community at large including formula one please God, check your sources and be better. Please get your shit together. You like Please. a little bit, drop it down then. But like some of it's some of it's too much. Some of it is very much too much. We are not as important in this community as we think we are. And I wish that all of us just sat back and drank some coffee sometimes and just enjoyed what we have in front of us, or at least try to enjoy what's in front of us rather than just beating each other up mentally, left, right, and center. But uh, hey, that's F1 for you. I think we all need a bit of a reset on this one, which is why we're going to put a neat little bow on this episode and wrap it up. This will hopefully be the last time we talk about um, Formula One until probably middle of February before we preview their season for 2024, the biggest F1 season ever at 24 Grand Prix starting February 29th in Bahrain. God help us all. Yes, leap, leap year, uh, February 29th. Um, so uh, yeah, good luck with that one. Shout out Lance Catamaran and Chef You can follow us on social media. By the time this goes out, all <laughs> three <laughs> all three parts of our F1 season review in note form will be up on the website. Check me out over there if you haven't already, motorsport101.com. Um, you can you can get a read of all of my thoughts on that in intense detail over there. It's going to be over 10,000 words by the time all three parts go out. So have fun with that. Um, you can find us on social media. My I, Yes, I've had to change my username. New again. handles! Dre Harrison 101 if you want to follow me on Twitter. Same on Instagram um, as well. RJ O'Connell and C Buckley at the usual. Please don't change them, folks. It's a bad idea. Don't 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 be don't be the brand guy. My engagement. Um, my engagement. And if you really like us and especially at a difficult time, patreon.com forward slash motorsport one oh one. Again, do not fret. We are going nowhere. I promise you that. Um, I got one more in me. In fact, we'll be back next week for our MotoGP season review. Um, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, a little bit more about the Trackhouse news, and wrap up. A little bit more up. about this motherfucker's diecast. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> Merry Christmas to Dre Harrison, because at least in one prediction I got, it's the, it's the one prediction I got right all season, because Cam won all the other ones. Um, hey! Including the F1 one, so well done, Cameron. Congratulations, sir. Um, uh, no, no, I, I can't say I won the F1 prediction. I ended up getting talked down to lowballing it. 
You still did better than us over the rest of the year, so well done you. Um, that'll do it for a two-hour, 15-minute-long edition of Motorsport 101. I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connor and Cam Buckley. Until next time, thank you very much for listening, and sayonara. So I wonder if they'll show up with reverse pods next year.